0: what's up welcome to another episode of our triune pod it is pentecost the spirit has been poured out on all flesh sons and daughters are prophesying gentiles are coming into the kingdom but we're going to start with this my favorite jew Ben Dehart. what's <laughs> up my man how are you doing i am feeling this pentecostal energy and we're going to make this the best cast yet uh, let's go. I thought you were going to throw a swear word in there, but I'm glad you filtered. <laughs> um, all right, man. So hey, we're going to get started on the colic, like, But first, I want to do a little unrelated segment, and it is about food that might not taste good to you. There's an article in the May 17th issue of The New Yorker called Yuck! What Makes Food Disgusting and Who Gets to Judge? And it's about the disgusting food museum in Sweden and the way that different cultures deem different f- foods disgusting and why it's a really great article just to uh, wet your appetite as it were here's a line the icelandic shark dish called hackerel uh, i'm not saying that right was the first assault on his stomach one of the viewers uh visitors at the museum eating it he said was like nine on a three-week-old cheese from the garbage that had also been peed on by every dog in the neighborhood (laughs) so with that what is the most disgusting food you've ever eaten ben
1: it was right before the pandemic. It was in Rome. Remember Italy got hit before us. I was there mm-hmm. right when that happened. I went with a buddy of mine. He wanted to try tripe from this you know, restaurant in Rome. What, was, what is tripe? Isn't it, is it like intestines or something? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not, I don't really I don't know. know. I think it's some kind of intestines. Um, but you know, I was just kind of down, down for anything. And I'm thinking if this is such a delicacy, it's probably gonna be great. It's probably better if I didn't know what it was, but. So I see my friend try it first. And he throws up in his mouth as he's trying it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know, we're here. I've got to do this. I I didn't find it as terrible as he did. Uh, he took one more bite just because he was like, well, maybe this is just in my head. But no, he was struggling. For me, it's just I had three or four bites. I, I felt a little embarrassed about sending it back. But uh, that was that was the worst. What about did you? It
0: ta- did it taste intestinal? That's a word. I
1: don't. I don't really remember how to describe I i'm not good at that but yeah it, yeah
0: yeah it pretty gross seeing okay. him
1: throw open his mouth probably affected me a bit too. yeah yeah
0: that's good yeah i mean obviously like a lot of people think the food that we eat routinely is disgusting so i i just grant that okay I, I realize arches. i realize there's something hypocritical about this but yeah so i spent uh with our with our good friend with our good friends friends of the pod charlie Trikler and amanda going in Burgess. I spent uh, three and a half weeks in East Africa when I was in seminary, and one of the towns that we were in was very, very remote, kind of on the border of Kenya and Ethiopia. No power uh, off the grid, but there were generators. But at night, it was just pitch black. So we are um, the the folks that we were staying with, amazing, hospitable, beautiful people, had prepared this wonderful food for a uh, meal for us, but we're eating it in the dark because there's no power and it's pitch black. And Uh, This is going to sound very Western, very kind of snowflakey. But, you know, when you're there, there's not a lot of fresh vegetables. That's just not part of their diet. And I was really craving something like broccoli or lettuce or just something green. And I was, (laughs) yeah, I know. I was I was like, you know, in this like buffet line. And I put these like things that I thought were like broccoli heads like on my plate. I'm like, oh, that's so great. Of course, there's no broccoli. It's like in the middle of the desert. But anyway, I put them on my plate and I'm like, oh, I'm really going to go at these. So I started chewing on them. And I don't know what they were, but I know it was like some strange meat that had the like look and almost texture of like kind of raw broccoli. It was like but it was gummier than that, but it was some foreign meat. And uh, so it's not that good of a story, I suppose, because I can't tell exactly what it was, but it, it, it was disgusting to me. To them, it was not disgusting. It was not objectively disgusting for me and my very Western palette, it was disgusting. Did you finish
1: it because you didn't want to be disrespectful Oh, I, d- or- I
0: definitely did. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the mode over there, too. If you're like a white person, you come to those villages, like it's uh, yeah, you'd really need to be respectful. But fair
1: enough, fair enough. All right, well, man. Well, speaking of transition. You know, all, all
0: nations, yeah, all dude, nations. that was good. Now. All right, so I'll do the collect and uh, Ben, I'm excited to hear what you got to say about it. And here is our prayer for Pentecost Sunday Almighty God, who on this day. On this day, you open the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever.
1: Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to start this one off with a bang. This is a quote from Karl Barth. I think maybe Nick introduced me to this quote years ago, but in the spirit of Pentecost and of the opening of tongues, I wanna read this and it goes like this. Why are we so alone, so unable to share with one another what moves us? We see other people coming and going each in their own way and it saddens us that we are so cut off from each other, that there are so many different worlds, you in your house and me in my house, you in your thoughts and me with mine. We feel this simply is not the way life is meant to be, this separate life we all lead. And we know that with a single change, we could have infinitely more joy and connection if only we could open our hearts and talk with each other. But then we experience the fact that we are mute, our lips bound. Yes, we certainly talk with each other. We find words all right, but never the right words never the words that would really do justice to what actually moves us, never the words that would really lead us out of our loneliness and into community." End quote. And the reason why I bring up that quote is, I am a firm believer that what happens at Pentecost is the undoing of what happened in the Tower of Babel story in Genesis. If you're unfamiliar with the Tower of Babel story, listener, it's that story where essentially they're building a tower up into the heavens. Everyone speaks the same language. They're trying to put themselves in the place of God. God sees this, and God confuses their tongues. And this is the story in Genesis, the legend that uh, essentially is here. Here's why we have different cultures, why we have different languages, et cetera. But it's put in the in the context of the ultimate disobedience to God. You've probably heard of the fall in Genesis 3, the eating of the fruit. Well, the climax of the rebellion against God happens in Genesis chapter, I think it's 11, with this Tower of Babel story. And it's here uh, where people begin to speak to one another and they don't understand each other. And what happens at Pentecost In Jerusalem, Jews from all over the diaspora are gathered together at Jerusalem. The disciples are gathered there. This is right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And these disciples start to speak in tongues that they do not know because the Holy Spirit has flooded them. And these Jews from all different cultures, all different languages can understand what Jesus' disciples are saying. The mighty deeds of God and the ultimate mighty deed, that being Jesus's death and resurrection on their behalf. And I, I, I just find this wonderful. It's the, you know, right after the Tower of Babel story is the calling of Abraham, God's calling of Abraham. God calls one person, one people to undo all that's gone wrong for all. He's called Abraham to be a blessing unto the nations. And here at Pentecost, we have a picture of that fulfillment. Um, the confusion of tongues being done away with. Um, our closed lips, which Carl Barth's talking about, being opened one to another. And this not being our own act, but the act of God in the spirit. Uh, so I just wanted to start off with that. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that or less passionate about that than
0: me, <laughs> uh, No, man, that was fantastic. Is that from the Zechariah? Like, is that the exegesis of the Zechariah text? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, yeah. Um, yeah, I do think that it was very powerful. And I think the notion that the spirit of God gives us a voice, like, is one of the most, uh, in my estimation, one of the most resonant, like, metaphors for how the gospel works in our life you know when the spirit comes into our life we find ourselves fluent in a language that we did not have before which is the goodness of God and the beauty of God and the grace of God in our lives and the way that we can express that with actual words is a way of making it true for us so that the spirit gives you a voice and that the church uh, you know, not to speak too normatively, but the church should be a place where people find their voice, you know, mm-hmm. from different backgrounds and social hierarchies and women, and men, different ethnicities. Uh, you know, we all have a voice in the church. I think that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really powerful metaphor. Um, yeah, I think what um, really jumps out to me in this colic, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, Ben, is um, the connection that the writer makes between the spirit of God and the word of God. Mm-hmm. So the supplication is, shed abroad this gift, like Lord, in the same way that you poured out your spirit on all flesh, or the same that we you, way you poured out your spirit on Pentecost, like pour it out again, shed abroad this gift throughout the whole world. But the instrument of the shedding abroad is by the preaching of the gospel. So there seems to be this logic that as the word of God is preached, the spirit of God is shed abroad, is released. So any connection there, um, or any thoughts there been about the the unity of word and spirit, maybe just speaking either personally or more theologically?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, just like, again, it it follows what's happening in the book of Acts. And if I wasn't clear on that, Pentecost occurs in Acts chapter two. And in in Acts, we talk about that word of God, you know, starting in Jerusalem and then reaching out to the ends of the earth. And obviously, we've seen this in, in world missions, right? People, missionaries go and they proclaim this, the gospel of Jesus Christ all over. And that's why we have Christians in China and India and here in the new world. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess just experientially, and I actually would more interested in hearing you talk about this, Nick, I mean, you've read (laughs) Simeon Zoll's book on the spirit and affect theory and stuff like that. But I mean, I, yeah, I mean, what, what, what is, I mean, Christian Wyman, who is a poet and, uh, you know, scholar, and he, he's at Yale University, wrote this memoir, and in the first chapter of the memoir, he talks about this experience he had of the living God, and you're kind of expecting him by the end of the chapter to be like, well, you know, this is like these crazy fundamentalist Pentecostals that I was hanging out with, and to knock it by the end, but he kind of surprises you in that he doesn't knock it. He talks about how, no, I I, I really believe that that was, an experience uh, of the spirit, so to speak. But yeah, you have anything from, from Simeon to enlighten us or from your experience? Um, well, yeah, that
0: book is very, very, very uh, well-written and um, heady. I think one of the things that really jumps out to me about that book uh, that is relevant to this discussion as it relates to the spirit is how in the New Testament, there is this category in that the New Testament is pretty explicit about of instantaneous growth and development. You know, we are so conditioned to think of things that happening in stages and very subtly. Um, you know, like how do you learn to play the clarinet? Like well, you don't just wake up one day and know how to play it. You have to learn how to do it. And a lot of the Christian life does work like that, obviously. But there is in the New Testament, both um kind of descriptively as a like narrative, you know, um, sorry, conversion narratives, but also more kind of theologically, there is this this promise that like there is new creation and there is resurrection and resurrection is not a process. It is an event. It is a happening. Mm -hmm. And I think the, that is one thing from the book that really jumped out to me. And the one thing that I have, I have experienced in my own life. And I think the law, the more that you're in settings where unbelief is like trendy and cool, Mm -hmm. the more that you have to fight for the, the notion that God really can bring life out of death and God really can do one eighties, you know, gosh, that's very cliche, but or corny, but, you know, but God really can like enter into time and space and unlock doors that have been locked for a long time. And it's not always the long patient struggle. Sometimes it really is just like God did that thing, you know? Um, and Pentecost is the day to remember that, you know, the, the, the disciples went from, T- abject terror and cowardice before Roman authorities to a willingness to be martyred, you know, and that was not the gradual acquisition of bravery in Aristotelian sense. That was like a new capacity that the spirit infused them with,
1: um, and yeah, that's that's good news, man. That's good news for me. Yeah, and actually, maybe that connects to your question to me: the connection between word and spirit. Uh, I think I've said this before, but Fleming Rutledge once put up a tweet uh, where she said her favorite church sign ever had three simple words. uh, And it was, Jesus is alive. Uh, And I think a lot of times, yeah, you're talking about, if you're in a deconstruction, expangelical kind of environment and you just stay there forever, I mean, you're going to get what you're, you're exposed yourself to. But if there's a preaching of expectation, a preaching that God is the living God who makes a way out of no way, who is alive this is like i mean this is where the word gets heard and people actually convert and uh yeah we see the spirit at work Uh, yeah i'd I'd also like to say there's another uh, uh, we're obviously talking about you know the spirits acting exposes god exposes christ to every race every nation again this is the undoing of the story of the Tower of Babel. This is the fulfillment of what God promised to Abraham or at least partial fulfillment. And yeah, notice that at Pentecost, everyone can understand each other, but languages and cultures, they're still there. It's not like it's been subsumed into, okay, now there's this one culture. And I think sometimes that's what Christians get uh, you know, criticized for, like, oh, you've kind of created this Christian subculture where everyone has to fit into it. No, in fact, uh, you know, it, the, the notion is that the people in their various cultures and languages went back home and spread this gospel far and wide. And I think that, that sometimes we can get caught up in the fact that, well, I don't really see this happening now. And I, this makes you think um, of this movie, Mockingbirders will love this, uh, this Whit Stillman movie called Metropolitan. Have you seen that, Nick? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. But in in the in the movie, this guy named Tom—I uh, forget what his name. is, His name's name Tom, and he lives on the Upper West Side. He's a, a socialist, and he becomes friends with these like Upper East Side socialites. So, socialist socialites—they don't have too much in common. But Tom falls in love with Audrey, who's the, again the socialite. Uh, but the problem is between them is that they 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 don't really understand each other. There's a mutual affection, but it's as if they can't speak each other's languages and. About three quarters of the way through the film, Audrey, you know, essentially decides to, to go with this other Upper East Side guy who's like kind of the villain of the story, kind of sucks. But at least he like, she under, he understands her. Um, till the very end of the movie, there's kind of this like Pentecost-like experience that Tom has. And <laughs> he, he decides he's just gonna get in the cab, go up to the Hamptons where, of course, Audrey's up in the Hamptons. And there's this notion that the movie ends without showing you what happens. But the thought is, their lips just may have been open to one another, tongues may have been. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think we see, that's why I wanted to say it's a partial fulfillment of what was promised to Abraham, because I mean, look, look around at society today. There's a whole lot of uh, those tongues being, uh, we're, we're not open to each other. Uh, the promise is that we will ultimately be able to speak in such a way where we can understand and there'll be mutual respect and that work of the spirit uh, will be, completed. Um, But I do. I mean, in the meantime, I have a lot of frustration that that's not all the time. Uh, So reminding myself that this is an instance of the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit does. And we we see that in our lives, as much as I sometimes can be a cynic and a downer. We've seen that where, you know, there's those breakthroughs where someone hears the gospel and is seized by it, or where like, you know, Christians of various cultures will stop talking at each other and start talking with each other. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I long for that day when, when, you know, our, our closed lips, as Carl said, are are opened one to another and the spirit just has free reign and we can all go to a, you know, a liturgical Pentecostal service together and be praising together. No,
0: that's good. (laughs) Yeah. And also just, you know, I, I'm, I say this as someone who is admittedly kind of a verbal processor. So I might just be, uh, imbuing my own experience with theological significance, but I do feel there is something very healing and humanizing about being able to give voice to your own experience. And um, there's always an element of knowing more than you can say, but I do think being able to articulate, here's what I'm feeling, here's what's happening in both difficult seasons and also good seasons. You know, you can lament and celebrate better when I think you can vocalize that which is going on and so I think Pentecost if we're going to be using this metaphor about you know yeah God giving people voice I think there's like a political and cultural dimension to that that you were talking about and there's also this more like psychological therapeutic spiritual element of Mm -hmm. like you know when the spirit is present in your life and when you're in like a robust ecosystem Christian ecosystem you can kind of like be honest with yourself and the spirit enables that type of honesty and that type of dexterity with the tongue to say like here's what's really going on you know here's where god's really showing up and here's where i'm really hurting um and that's like another i think it's another aspect of like the pentecost christian experience that we gotta yeah Yeah, i think
1: right now we all look at you know those like very conservative very fundamentalist churches and a lot of us because it's because we come out of those worlds but just as much in the more like liberal progressive world like uh there's a whole lot of people who don't feel like they are heard there or don't have a voice there or can't speak up there. And uh, you know, that's not just like a way of saying, well, like, let's just be conservative. It's just kind of like the Holy spirit does not care. The Holy spirit no, is working definitely. on all of us. Yeah. And there are human dynamics in every religious institution. It yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter what your theology yeah. is, but yeah. isn't, I mean, the, the, the best churches that I've experienced are the ones where the Holy spirit really does work through that word. That frees, that liberates, and oftentimes I find myself when I have words, just to, to speak. When I when I can speak freely, then I'm more free to listen as well. So it ends up <laughs> engendering what it calls for. I mean, I, I yeah. No man, that's great. All right, bro, pray us right. <sighs> Almighty God, on this day you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that it may reach the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, amen. How about that episode of our triune pod now that you've been prepped for praise won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review we promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming so be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast